This episode is brought to you by Podbean. Podbean is an easy and powerful way to start podcasting. We give you all of the tools you need for a successful podcast, such as unlimited podcast hosting, podcast distribution, monetization options for podcasts of any size, and live stream podcasting capabilities. Sign up today at www.podbean.com. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com. Hello, and welcome to A Murderous Affair, the podcast where we talk about women in history known for mayhem and murder. Yeah. It gets real spooky. Speaking of spooky, how was everyone's Halloween? Mine was amazing. My friend and I went and got the life scared out of us at this haunted farm maze thing, and it was so much fun. And even though I'm sad that it's over, I'm super excited because at least I can transition to the next season with A Nightmare Before Christmas, which basically extends Halloween all the way to Christmas. Speaking of nightmares, let's talk about our murderess of the day, Elizabeth Betty Broderick. This one, I actually have a little bit of a hometown tie-in to. Interesting, right? Cue the intro music! Before we talk about our murderess, I gotta mention our resources. We have information from the Betty Broderick Murderpedia page, as well as the LA Times archives and Crime Lab. And like I said, I do have a bit of a hometown tie-in for this episode, but you'll have to wait until the end to hear about it. So, without further ado, let's get started. Elizabeth Ann Betty Broderick was born on November 7th, 1947. She was the middle of six children and had a religious Roman Catholic upbringing. Her family was very upper middle class and had instilled in her the values necessary to be a good homemaker. So remember, this is the 50s, y'all. All girls needed to be successful in life was proper manners and good behavior. She went to an all-girls Catholic college in New York, and met her future husband, Dan Broderick, at a party after a Notre Dame football game when she was 17. Apparently, he introduced himself to her by writing on a napkin, Daniel T. Broderick III, MDA. When Betty asked him what MDA meant, his response was medical doctor almost. They had a long-distance relationship for about three years. Both of them were finishing up college at their respective schools, but they still made time to be together. Daniel Broderick sometimes brought her with him to Pittsburgh to visit with his large family. Basically, they kind of seemed perfect for each other. And on April 12, 1969, they were married. It was pretty much a dream wedding surrounded by family and friends and the happy newlyweds honeymoon in the Caribbean. When they returned to New York, Betty found that she was pregnant. Dan continued to go to college to finish up his medical degree, only to change his mind, only to decide to change careers and enroll in Harvard to become a medical malpractice attorney. So the family moved to Massachusetts and Dan worked full-time 
on his studies while Betty would take small odd jobs here and there to pay the rent for their flat. Apparently this included selling Avon or Tupperware to her neighbors. In 1973, the Broderick family moved again to California. Dan was supposed to complete a summer clerkship in Los Angeles and he eventually secured a legal position in San Diego. Now that they moved to San Diego and Dan had this fantastic new job, they decided to buy a house in La Jolla to help supplement their income until Dan was consistently receiving those paychecks that he was promised. Betty would teach religious classes at the local school and she also received a real estate license. Basically during this time while Dan was this really successful lawyer working in a prominent law office, Betty would stay home with the kids, take them to soccer, practice, school, and stuff like that. Apparently she owned a white Bronco that said load em up on the license plate which was like a reference to how she would caravan the kids and their friends around places they needed to go. She was basically the epitome of the stay-at-home wife. Dan worked consistently late at the office, but he would come home and share with her his day's events, and he even hired a maid to help her around the house so that she can devote more time to community clubs and activities that she liked to be a part of. Because of Dan's medical background, he was able to combine his knowledge of law with what he knew of medicine, and he basically built up his reputation to be one of the most sought-out lawyers in Southern California for medical malpractice cases. But as perfect as their life seemed on the outside, their marriage was deteriorating. Betty would complain that Dan was an absent father and husband, that he spent too much time working and socializing with his other attorneys and that she felt like a single parent of four children. And this leads to the early 1980s when Dan hired Linda Kolkana, who was a former airline attendant who became a receptionist and then his assistant and then began having a secret affair with him that lasted about three years. Linda was 21 years old when she first met Dan. She was born in Salt Lake City, Utah, and, and had worked for Delta Airlines before she, becoming his personal assistant. And apparently Betty had suspected the affair for a while, even though Dan had denied it. And this all kind of came to a head when one day Betty waited all day and night at Dan's law office to celebrate his birthday, only to find out that he was out with Linda. Apparently when she heard this news, Betty drove home and burned all of Dan's expensive custom tailored suits. So at this point, the marriage basically continues to fall apart. Betty is constantly suspecting that Dan is having an affair. Dan is constantly denying it. Um, at one point, he moves out of the home and buys a house of his own. So after Dan moved out, it seems Betty became obsessed in her anger with her husband. Later on, when this whole case went to court. It turns out that she had repeatedly left obscene messages on his answering machine. She would also demand her children would change their attitude and behavior towards their father and Linda. Um, one afternoon, she stopped at the house to visit her kids. Apparently, she spotted a Boston cream pie on the counter, which was Dan's favorite. At this point, she learned from the housekeeper that Linda had dropped it off for Dan and decided that she would carry it upstairs and spread the entire pie all over his bed. When Dan got home, he saw the damage and immediately had a restraining order issued to keep his wife out of the house. Two days later, after she had heard about the restraining order, she threw a bottle of wine through a window and the police that were called apparently refused to become involved because they thought it was just another domestic battle among the, quote, idle rich. And one incident that's particularly famous for its volatile nature was that she drove her car through the front 
door of Dan's new house after he sold the family house without Betty's consent. So as their divorce proceeded, Betty's behavior became increasingly violent. Dan, on the other hand, was reported to be able to keep a cooler head. And since he had this background in law, he was able to use his expertise to help him down the road. Um, apparently at the time, Dan was paying Betty around 9000 and then later $16,000 a month in alimony while he was living with Linda. Four years after Dan filed for divorce in 1989, it was finalized. Um, apparently people were saying that Dan dragged the divorce out for four years on purpose. In California, there is a legal concept known as Epstein credits, which works to stop any financial compensation that Betty was entitled to. And by the time the divorce trial came forward, because of the Epstein credits, um, Betty's share of community property had actually been reduced. There were also many legal maneuverings and delays that postponed the divorce trial. Uh, for example, Betty represented herself without an attorney, as well as the divorce trial was completely sealed off from public from the public at Dan's request. And then at the end of the eight-day trial, the judge actually said that Betty owed Dan $750,000 in Epstein credits and cash advances, which were accumulated between the time Dan moved out and the date that the divorce was final. Um, so in the end, Dan Broderick, who was a multimillionaire, was ordered to pay his wife of 20 years less than $30,000 in cash, and he was awarded custody of the children. And then, to top it all off, on April 22nd, 1989, 10 days after what would have been Dan and Betty's 20th anniversary, Dan and Linda were married. One month before Dan was planning on marrying Linda, Betty bought a Smith & Wesson revolver, claiming that she would now need protection because she was living alone, and she also took shooting lessons. There were some people who came forward during the trial and also said that she carried the gun with her most of the time and would oftentimes threaten to shoot her ex-husband. So, this leads to November 5th, 1989, which is eight months after having bought the gun and seven months after Dan and Linda were married. Betty shot and killed the couple while they slept at around 5.30 in the morning. Apparently, she had taken a key from the purse of her oldest daughter to get inside the house, to get inside her ex-husband's house. At the house, Betty shot all five bullets. Um, two hit Linda in the head and chest and killed her instantly. One hit... Dan in the chest, one hit the wall, and one and one bullet hit a nightstand. At the time of their deaths, Dan was 44 and Linda was 28. Apparently, Betty had also removed the phone from the bedroom so that Dan and Linda couldn't call for help. After shooting the gun, Betty soon turned herself into the police and never denied actually pulling the trigger five times. Um, but what she did deny was that she had the intention of murdering them. She was asked on trial why she had brought a handgun into the home that night, and she said, because I wanted to make him listen to me. If he didn't listen to her, her intention was then to commit suicide inside the house. She was also asked why she didn't commit suicide after shooting Dan and Linda, and she said it was because she didn't have any bullets left. Her testimony on her trial was that, quote, the movement that I made into their bedroom woke them up, 
and they moved and somebody screamed to call the police and I said no and I just fired the gun and this big noise went off and then I grabbed the phone and I got the hell out of there but I wasn't even in that room I mean it was just an explosion just I moved they moved the gun went off and it was like ah and it was that fast I'm sorry but you took a gun into your ex-husband's house that you stole a key to get into and then was startled by someone screaming call the police when they assumed that someone had broken into their house, which they did, and your excuse was, oh, I didn't mean to kill them, I just got startled when they screamed, and so I just shot a bunch of times, and then I left. I just, that's so, uh, anyway. Dan Broderick's brother, Larry, says that Betty Broderick's sob story portraying herself as a victim was a tissue of lies. He told CNN that she made up stories about her ex-husband and his new wife during her not one, but two trials. A quote from him is that, Normal people don't seem to get that murderers will lie to save their skin. And did you know that dead people have no rights? A person can slander and libel and say anything they want about a dead person and you can't stop it. Betty's defense during her trial was that she had battered woman syndrome. She claimed that she was driven over the edge by years of psychological, emotional, and mental abuse at the hands of her husband. Her attorney, Jack Early, portrayed her as a woman who sacrificed her entire life in order to be nothing more than the perfect mother and the perfect wife to four children. Basically, their whole argument was that Dan Broderick was this cold-hearted person who traded Betty in for a younger model by cheating on her behind her back for three years with Linda. And after all these years, this is what eventually caused Betty to snap and commit all these murders without premeditation. The fact that she's on trial for murder kind of puts everything she says into question. The prosecutor, who was Carrie Wells, basically portrayed Betty as a cold-hearted, selfish, narcissistic murderer who planned and schemed to kill her ex-husband for quite some time. Um, and she played the countless phone messages that Betty left on Dan and Linda's answering machine. She showed the evidence that... Betty had vandalized Dan's home, and Betty's oldest daughter, Kim, actually testified about how angry Betty was and how unrepentant she was after the murders. Betty's first trial ended in a hung jury, with two of the jurors held out for manslaughter because they cited lack of intent. She was retried a year later with the same defense attorney and prosecutor, and the second trial was basically a replay of the first trial. But prosecutor Carrie Wells was more successful in the second trial, and the jury returned with a verdict of two counts of second-degree murder. Betty Broderick was sentenced to two consecutive terms of 15 years to life, plus two years for illegal use of a firearm. And she has been incarcerated since she committed the murders. She is due to be released in 2021, and two of her children spoke at her most recent parole hearing asking the board to release their mother, but the other two children spoke against her release and wanted the board to keep her incarcerated. When pressed for details on her actions at her parole hearing, she said the same thing she said during her trials, which was that, quote, Linda came at me and the gun went off. Richard Sachs, who is a San Diego prosecutor who handles these lifer hearings, says that she was totally not remorseful and didn't even try. The parole commissioners also said that Broderick showed no repentance for the murders, and the Board of Prison Terms Commissioner Robert Doyle said, quote, your heart is still bitter and you are still angry. You show no significant progress in evolving and you're still back 20 years ago in that same mode. That is the story of the terrible murder of Dan Broderick and Linda Colcana. So my fun hometown tie-in to this story is that my mom used to work in downtown San Diego. She used to work for a microservice company which delivered lots of documents and legal information to the law office that Dan Broderick worked at. And then 
my mom also had a friend whose sister worked at the Las Colinas prison where she was originally kept for a duration of her sentence. And this prison guard says that when Betty Broderick was mad and would start throwing fits or wasn't getting her way, she would take her feces and spread them all over the cell. So that is the murders we're talking about today. And I hope you guys enjoyed this one. If you did, let me know. You can reach me at Frumius Reads on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. If you didn't enjoy this one, then let me know. You can reach me on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Frumius Reads. Um, if you want to hear more of my voice, then you can find me on YouTube where I do book reviews. Or you can subscribe to this podcast and make sure you stay updated for our weekly episodes. But thank you so much for listening. That's all I have for you today, and I'll talk to you next week. Okay, goodbye. This episode is brought to you by Podbean Live. Podbean Livestream is a unique platform for turning your podcast production into a live show. It's open to any podcaster on any hosting site. Easily invite multiple co-hosts and guests to join your live stream. Earn money from live show ticket sales and get listener rewards and engage your audience in new and exciting ways. Ready to get started? Sign up today at www.podbean.com slash live. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash live.